BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Are you thinking about starting a podcast but don't know where to start? Let me take a second to tell you about Anchor by Spotify. It's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need, all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast across a plethora of listening platforms, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the big ones. It's everything you need to make a podcast, all in one place. And best of all, completely free. If you're thinking about starting a podcast, do yourself a favor and check out anchor.fm or download the app to get started. Hey everyone, if you're enjoying Inquiries of Our Reality, do me a favor and drop me a review or rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. While you're at it, come join the Discord or Telegram groups for the show. If you haven't already, don't forget to follow me across social media to stay updated on the show. If you'd like to support the show, you can subscribe to my Patreon for just $5 a month, where you'll receive early access to Inquiries of Our Reality, Big Dumb Inquiries, and Bizarre Encounters. You can also support the show by donating on Anchor or Ko-fi, which will help me upgrade equipment and hopefully eventually do this full-time so I can put out even more awesome content for you guys. If you guys want some t-shirts or other awesome merchandise for Increase of Our Reality, Big Dumb Increase, or Bizarre Encounters, stop by my Teespring store and get yourself something nice. If you're a creator or a listener, come check out Open Minds Media. We have an awesome community of great people who would love to meet you. From our featured creator podcast feed to chat rooms to even help questions, this is the place for you. For more information on the community, the podcast feed, and to stay updated on all the new things coming, check us out on social media, and all their links are available on our link tree. And last but not least, if anyone is interested in being a guest on the show, sponsoring the show, has a topic they want covered on the show, or you feel you can contribute to the show in any way, shape, or form, shoot me a message on social media, or feel free to email me at increaseofourrealitypodcast at outlook.com. All the links I mentioned are in the show description. Just tap or click the link tree link to be directed. Or remember, L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E slash Increase of Our Reality Podcast. Thank you so much, everyone. I appreciate all of you, and I couldn't be doing this without your support. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything. Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality, one topic at a time. This is Inquiries of Our Reality with Shane Jones. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 62nd episode of Inquiries of Our Reality. Today with me, I have Mr. Gorga. He's an author. He's uh, recently was just working on a new book, and it's a pleasure to have him on the show. How are you doing today, man? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. 
Uh, so I guess a good starting point for anybody that doesn't know who you are, why don't you give them a little uh, description about who you are and what you do? Sure. Well, uh, again, my name is Mr. Gorga. I am the author of a book called Demons Among Us. Uh, I've been writing since I was a little kid and uh, professionally uh, writing professionally. I started out in um, in magazines and journalism, and then I I took on copywriting and worked for advertising and marketing campaigns. And um, then I wrote Demons Among Us. And uh, now I am here sitting with you. <laughs> so uh, what ended up causing that like kind of flip if you were just kind of going from like standard journalism into like a book like this like what inspired that yeah well it's demons among us is is um a book i've been wanting to write for a long time it was kind of always uh on my radar and um and what had happened was uh the story goes is this so um i had suffered a number of or a string of nighttime assaults or demonic attacks that were going on for probably like a, a, a week long uh, at nightly for about a week or so. And it was, how would you uh, describe the attacks just for the sake of midnight strangulations, taking your breath away, uh, chest suppressions, um, uh, uh, evil whisperings, like in your ear, strange voices, and just kind of, um, attacks nightly just in different manners and scratchings or, or yellings or whatever. And it was going on for, uh, for about a week and they all happened in the, in the dead of night, you know? Um, and so I am actually, uh, at the time I was actually a prayer leader for a ministry that I, uh, that I belong to. And, um, and at one night uh, we have Thursday night was uh, intercessory prayer. So we, 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 we pray for lots of things, but uh, at the end, we kind of like get in a circle and we, we pray over people's needs. And so I, and there's about 30 of us. And so I, I asked them, I was like, is, I said, I'm going, I'm having these things happen. Is, is any of this stuff happening to you? And, you know, I just figured I'd put it out there and all of a sudden, like one by one, these reluctant hands begin to rise and so, and that's right, 13 and all. And that's when I realized like, it wasn't just me. It wasn't just an isolated instant incident. Uh, these people were also under demonic assault. And, um, and so it was an incident that, that just made me angry. And then I got to thinking, um, well, how many other people are out there suffering these things and not even knowing it, right? Unknowingly or unguarded or unaware and so and then I just got angry. So Demons Among Us is um, it's actually a um, it's an answer to the assaults that I was experiencing and not just me, but others as well. So um, was, it, was it just people specifically in your church group that seemed to have been having the same encounters with the same being possibly? Or do you think it was separate beings for all these different encounters? Yeah, well, when, you, when you're talking about like demons and spirits, there's there's many, many, many. So it's not like just one guy walking around, like <laughs> it's not like the Sandman, right? Just walking around and putting sand in people's eyes. It's these are, you know, these are highly orchestrated and organized um, uh, demonic beings. And so they, you know, they can attack many at one time. So it's, you know, um, there when you talk about these, these spirit, the spirit realm or these demonic spirits, there's, they're, they're countless, you know? So 
it wouldn't be just one, you know, one spirit walking around. It would have been, you know, many. Uh, what are some of the other um, encounters that other people had in your group? Were they the same exact experiences as you or they, were they slight different experiences? Yeah, they kind of always are. They, they, they kind of have the same playbook, you know, they, you know, the, they're big on the strangulation <laughs> there. <laughs> and when you, when you experience it, you, you literally feel like this iron clutch. So, you know, it's a hand, but you can't see it. And it's, it's taking your breath away. So what happens is, is like, you'll, you'll shoot up, but there's something about these things. They paralyze with fear as well. And so what happens is they, they take the ability of you to cry out. So it's for a moment, you're really paralyzed in fear. And so you can't, you can't cry out because there's something about them. They take your breath away, but you do feel this steely clutch on your neck and all, a lot of them, um, you know, said the same thing that I'm, that I'm telling you, uh, they just didn't come forward because they thought they were going to be called crazy. That seems how it, that seems to be how it goes for a lot of like paranormal encounters too, where everybody doesn't want to believe it. But then as soon as somebody mentions something then everybody goes, Oh yeah, I've had an encounter like that. Yeah. But it's one of those things that like everybody kind of has to start talking together and working together to start to solve the problem. Otherwise it's going to be one of those things that just kind of goes on behind the scenes and nobody knows how to deal with properly. Yeah. And that's exactly, that's exactly right. I mean, it's, it's, that's why I wrote it was to kind of um, rip the veil off of the paranormal to show what's really happening uh, behind the scenes there. Um, Because many people are, are influenced by or under their suggestions without even knowing it. Um, And so I literally, I wrote it to open people's eyes to the darkness and these dark forces that are functioning all around them without them even knowing it. So I guess in your own words, uh, what do you believe is going on behind the veil, so to speak? Uh, well, you know, we we are in a very spiritual world, but when you when you take the veil, the paranormal, these are these are dark forces. They're demonic beings, um, and so when they have they have uh, a lot of power uh, in this world, they're very influential. And what's happening is behind the scenes is that there's there's demonic influences at work that influence society and the way things, uh, directions they go and life, uh, things that, um, um, people have, have issue with, or, you know, they take stronghold and they, there's a uh, dark forces working behind this world that are influencing people. So, um, from your experiences, what do you feel is the best thing that you can do if you're having these experiences and you're trying to get past them, try to get them to stop like all of the above? Right. Um, well, I'm a believer in Christ, in Jesus Christ. So I'm a follower. Um, and so for me, um, in order to combat these things or come against these uh, spiritual forces, you need somebody who's bigger and badder and meaner than these dark forces. And Jesus himself, he said, I give you power over um, to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, the enemy being these satanic forces and demons and devils right mm-hmm. see so jesus himself has given those who believe in him or have his followers this incredible power meaning that you you'll you'll still experience these things but they will have no grip on you they will have no they will not have no rule or government or control over you because he's given you power over them 
It's an incredible supernatural thing that he's given his followers. And so that's how I, I call on Jesus. They vanquish like smoke. So, assumably, just kind of like how there would be in heaven, there's somewhat of a hierarchy of demons going up like the list. So, um, as far mm-hmm. as like the ones that normal people encounter, do you believe that they're like the low end of the list, or do you think that they might be a little bit higher up on the list? Well, I do not think that Satan himself is is after me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, he saved that for his other the other minions, right? That under him. If, if you can look at the spiritual realm, like a um, a government or a corporation, you know, you have the head, right, who is uh, Satan or Lucifer, and then you have all the other um, operations, spiritual, you know, spiritual agents under him doing all kinds of other things, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if if I was a smart devil, which he is, um, I would go after who would I go after? I myself being a smart devil, I would go over after the most influential people I can find. I would go after heads of state. I would go after judges. I was going to, I would go after entertainers and rock stars. Right. And so if I was, and, and if you can look at this spiritual realm, like influencer marketing, right. Mm -hmm. So it's so what you, what, what happens is, is they inspire or they inject these ideals or ideologies um, or plots and schemes into people's minds and lives. And then they disseminate this thing upon those who are influenced under them. So in, it's just this trickle down thing. It's, it's influencer marketer, except that at ex- extremely satanic and sinister level. So do you think that everybody that's, uh, I guess, on the media side of things, um, of course, there's ones that would quote, think they sell their, sold their soul to the devil. But do you think that there's still a good number of these people that are possibly being influenced, but may not be aware of what they're actually doing? Yeah, I think so, too, because, um, you know, there's some people who who outright they know. Right. And then there's other people who just think they're living their lives and doing their things and whatever. And they're just going about there today. I'm just doing my job. And right. I'm just following orders. Right. And so they do it unknowingly. And that's the scary thing of how this the, the behind the paranormal works with these these dark forces work is that you're doing the, the will of these agents without even knowing it. Um, what are that's some of the, the scary part? I would say, what, what are some of the uh, people that you believe are full well aware of what they're doing and some that may not be aware of what they're doing? <laughs> well, you got the, I, I believe there's people in uh, high government, high entertainment uh, that knowingly, willingly participate in uh, very highly demonic behavior, satanic stuff. Um, and if you talk, if you listen to, to some people who kind of come out of, say, like the entertainment world, well, they want you to do more and more evil stuff to get to this other level. You, you know, you'll find people, who, entertainers who have ever come out of it, who talk about this stuff. And so um, they want you to do more and more evil in order to get that next level of fame or power or influence. And so, and then there's the people who are under them. They're just, they're just not even aware. There's, they're just following, you know, they're just following. So um, there's a saying that we have like uh, between people I know, like deceived people 
don't know they're deceived. Mm-hmm. On the whole idea of selling your soul, do you believe that it's something you can actually do? Because in my opinion, I feel like it's not really something that you yourself have like the right to be able to sell or get rid of. Yeah. So a lot of people are tricked into thinking that they sold their soul. So in turn, thinking they sold their soul, they think they're already going to hell. So they spend the rest of their life doing whatever they want. And it's not actually the selling their soul that gets them to hell. It's all the deeds they did after because they already thought they were going there. Yeah. When you're talking about soul, it's not his to own, right? And Mm -hmm. so it's, but, but yeah, they are tricked into thinking that they've sold their soul. When you talk about like, uh, say like back in early history where, you know, the devil come up, would come after, you know, early, uh, uh, American, uh, early American, you know, colonists or whatever. And he's got this big, great red book, right. With iron clasp in the, you know, and he, and they say, oh, they wanted me to set my hand to the book and, uh, which was signing a contract, Right. And so but these people put their mark or sign their sign his contract. These people really thought that they sold their souls away. Um, but it, and it's it is it's a form of deception into the person or individual thinking that they sold their soul. Their soul is redeemable. It's not his to own. It can be redeemed. And Jesus is the way you're at, all souls are redeemed. So it's like your soul can be redeemed if you think you, it was sold. It's not his to own. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's not his to own. And they're just sort of, they, like you said, they're tricked into thinking that they've sold their souls. And I mean, even going into like the, uh, I guess you can say like secret society, like satanic type churches. Um, it's the same thing where it's like a lot of people will get into that, um, with the idea, I guess, of selling their soul in hopes of possibly having a better afterlife in hell because they did something in return, not realizing again, that it's not that like you're doing him favors and he's going to like you for it. It's just that you're giving him more of a reason for you to be able to go to hell rather than heaven. And it just kind of like builds up from there. And then um, I guess you start getting into like the uh, kind of like you were saying with the whole influencer concept too, that a lot of people will see these like celebrities, these higher up type people doing certain things. And just because they see somebody that they look up to um, doing something, they think it's okay. So then right. you have this whole generation of people who have been misguided and perceived into thinking that something is totally okay because that's what society tells them it is, even though right. it's not. Because I'm sure as you've seen, there's a big pull in the world to pull everybody towards evil, of course. Yes, absolutely. And they just try to normalize it in the process. And it's just been a cycle that's been going on for a long time. That's right. Yeah, no, it's, uh, uh, couldn't have said it better, <laughs> but it's true. And it's, it, the pull is only getting stronger because, um, you know, I've never would have imagined that I've seen the level of evil and openly evil that I've seen in my day. And I, and my, I, I guess it was always there, but it was way better hidden. Right mm-hmm. now it's just outright and it is strong and it, and it comes at you from so many, from so many angles now and the pull and the current of evil is so strong. And the reason why the pull of the, uh, the current of evil is so strong right now, um, if we can talk biblically for a second, the Bible says that the, the devil has come down with great wrath because he knows his time is short. 
So what you're seeing is a ramping up of evil because his time is short. It's limited. So I guess another kind of a weird question, uh, your opinion on it too. Um, so demons theoretically can't manifest themselves in this physical world. So they'd need a vessel to do so. Yes. So considering that we're progressing towards more of a digital age, um, do you get into the theory that demons may be able to show themselves within like, say, a computer program, so to speak? So maybe they're trying to push everything towards this digital future so that these demons can manifest themselves in another form. And in turn, they can kind of play it off like, oh, it's just part of the computer program, even though it may be like a physical entity that's inside of the program. Right. That's, well, that's a very interesting question. Um, I guess. I mean, anything could be used. Um, anything could be a tool of, uh, of the demonic. Right. So you're always going to like you know, people, people are, um, they use people in order for, for this evil to, to kind of spread, they need people to do the bidding. And the more unknowing you are, the better, because you're just a, a better pawn. Now, if you're one of these people and you're building programs, then yeah, these things are going to be used for more evil. Right. Mm -hmm. And even as we and even as we go towards a more cashless system, which the Bible predicted uh, some 2000, 2000 years ago, uh, says that uh, they received a mark in their in their foreheads or their or their hands. Um, and with, without it, they won't be able to buy or sell, meaning that this is a cashless system. If you don't have this beast, the mark or it's the mark of the beast. Right. Mm -hmm. But the mark of the beast is a beast system. It's an economic system that we're all tied into. And of course, that comes into, um, gets tied in digitally as well, because the financial system is going to be tied in digitally. And you're not going to be able to sell or buy or trade or whatever without this, without being tied into the beast system. So it's a form of control um, that's going to be implemented in the days uh, soon ahead. It used to be farther, farther away. It's not anymore. I think it's becoming very clear that this is where it's going. So considering like the mark of the beast concept, um, do you believe that that's more so like the, the vaccine passports, for example, or do you think it might be more of like the vaccine itself, possibly that they kind of make it seem like you can't do this unless you get the next step. So it's kind of like a mark of the beast control thing where you can control people's money because you could tell them that they can't work if they don't listen. And I think I think what we saw was a, a precursor to what it, how it's going to play out. And I think that, you know, I used to think like, how are they going to get so many people to get lockstep in this thing? Right. And, and we saw it. Yeah. You trick people into policing each other rather than yeah. even having to do it in the first place. Yeah. I mean, it was absolutely, I could not believe what I was seeing. And I was like, well, this is exactly how it's going to go down. If not, you know, in, you know, uh, little variations or whatever, but you saw how it was possible and you saw how um, this was, a very, a very doable thing <laughs> for like, it used to be like so far fetched. Now I see it. Like I could not believe that I, I was able to see how this thing was going to, how the people were going to get on board. And, you know, uh, the, the whole pandemic thing um, was a, for me, the way I saw it was a, a real precursor to how this kind of stuff is going to get implemented and uh, control society, you know, and how you control society is uh, through their money. I was going to say, it's like a blessing and a curse in a sense, because 
like you were saying, their time is short here. So that yes. would explain why all these events seem like they're just one after the other. Yeah. But also because of things being pushed and moving so fast, I feel like more people are waking up to it in the process. And if it wasn't for everything speeding up, there probably wouldn't be nearly as many people waking up. So it's like, almost, it's a good thing and a bad thing all at the same time, you know, like yeah. not that COVID was ever good, but it's good no. that people are finally starting to see through things. Yeah. I, and I, you know, I hope to wake up more people. I mean, that's literally why I wrote the book was to, and I say it in the, um, in the forward, um, the, why I wrote the book is because I'm trying to open up the eyes of the people <laughs> to, of the audience to show what's really going on here. So aside from some really creepy stories that are really, you know, personal historic, personal stories, um, that I've experienced and, um, the first, a uh, fully documented eyewitness case of demonic possession in American history, uh, which was, you know, uh, decades before the Salem witch trial um, and, and that account. But it also explains um, how evil functions and operates in the world and, and in various spirits and in various ways. And that's when you see when I outline how it's done. And then now you see it, you're like, holy crap. <laughs> well, I see it now. Right. And so, and then you start to see um, the mechanisms um, used, uh, which is, uh, and now you see it, but I, I wrote, I wrote the book um, many parts of it way before all this stuff started happening. Right. And so, uh, so now how these things are going to be spread uh, media entertainment corporations, uh, TV. Um, it's, it's kind of obvious now. <clears throat> oh, and, and one of the big ones, um, it, people might scoff at it, but it's comedy. So how you, you take these agendas is you, you take them, um, and at a couple of fronts. So you take comedy, you take entertainment, you take media, you take corporation, you take government, Right. And you get these prongs all moving at the same time. That's how uh, society is influenced all at once to accept and embrace things that are immoral, um, satanic, or, or, or what have you. That's how these things spread through society. This is how the, this is the mechanisms and the tools. And the reason I wrote about comedy was because <clears throat> comedy is actually a way to uh, desensitize the sting or the evil or the, you know, it masks the evil or the intent of it in comedy and in laughter. And the, the funny thing about comedy, and I'm not saying like, don't be funny or whatever, like you know, <laughs> I consider myself funny. So I'm like saying, don't not be funny, but know when to recognize it. I was going to show you how to recognize it. And it's, it's vitriolic. Let me, and I'll just make my point and then, you know, yeah. but in the Bible, it talks about, it talks about laughter 29 times, two times. It's about jovial or merriment or heartfelt, like laughter that we would like to laugh about. Right. Mm -hmm. Of those of, and 29 times it talks about uh, laughter. It's scorn mocking derision and it's all an effort to um to marginalize a section of society 
in order to bring them over into their thinking and their ideology. And this is why comedy is used. And, and I can't think of another greater example other than the, pr- the Trump presidency. No, <laughs> no matter what your political leanings were, you have to recognize this was on a whole other vitriolic level. This was yeah. not comedy. This was derision meant to sway people to the other side um, and demonizing a political figure and, and, in the, and, in the, and in the interim, demonizing an entire populace that followed that figure. I was going to say, going to the whole comedy aspect, too, um, it also like kind of like you're saying, normalize, <laughs> normalizes things because it's like you look at comedy, what it used to be like 10 years ago versus now. And there's just like a lot of jokes you, that you can't make because people have made those jokes they purposely, I feel, tried to like overdo the jokes so that people felt bad so that they could start normalizing satanic concepts. Yes. Um, like, I don't know if it's something you want to get into or talk about, but just like the whole like trans movement, I don't see it as something that's positive. But because of comedy, um, it made fun of it for so long. Now it's like you can't even touch that with comedy. And I feel like that was intentionally done to make them almost look like there's somebody you need to feel sorry for. Like you can't you can't joke about them. Right. Yeah, no, and it's 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 absolutely true. What you're going to see is the same thing with uh, pedophilia. So the next thing down the line is is pedophilia. And so when you see these needles that I just spoke about moving all in tandem, know that this is a uh, there's a spiritual force behind these things. So the reason why I, I use the example I used in the in the book is to see what when you see these things happening, when you see this stuff happening with with transgender, and I do talk about that in the book as well. Um, that uh, what good is there of bringing your your child to a drag show? The question we should be asking is why do they want our kids? Not that why are we bringing them there. Why do they want our kids? And yeah. that's the question to be asking. I say even looking at like the school systems and like the teachers that are fighting for the right to talk about sex with children, like no yes. people aren't looking at that from like a stand stand back point. They're looking at it for the sake of like, oh, they want to be like the, like everybody else and be progressive. Not again, just standing back and realizing that like you're talking about sex with a child. Like, right. That's exactly. something that's not needed. Like, I don't know about no. you, but when I was a kid, like, I didn't care if the teacher was married. I didn't care what they were doing. So, no. like, why do we have to bring their personal life into schools now? No. And the kids still don't care. They're just trying to dump an agenda on them to make them think they care because they're trying to groom these kids, um, you know, to try to they're, this is I'm trying to word this properly. This is a highly spiritual demonic component behind these movements. And so what they want to do is destroy and distort an individual as early as age as possible. And that's why they keep fighting to push it down. I was say I homeschool my yes. daughter and uh, she was in kindergarten last year. And I walked up one day and it was talking about like a gay pride parade. Like what, what's the reason for talking about this with a kindergartner? No, none. Absolutely none. Yeah. I was saying no, going into the groomer concept too. Uh, I recently saw this. Uh, it was a clip that was on the news where they were talking about it. Like it was a good thing. And it was somebody who was trans and they're sitting in front of a school, reading a book. And at the end of it, there's a bunch of kids that were like, Oh, I'm trans. And they're looking at it as a good thing. Like they made these kids speak up about something. 
But I'm looking at it from the perspective of you dress up like a superhero. You go in front of a school, you read a book about superheroes. Half the kids are going to stand up and say they want to be a superhero. So mm-hmm. it's clearly grooming. You're not doing anything good for the children at that point. No, not at all. And, um, you know, I talk about it in the book and I talk about um, how children's literature was used. And there's an example of the book. And one of the books um, were targeting um, age zero to age five. Age zero, age zero. So I, and I, in the book, I was like, let that sink in for a second. They don't even know what's going on yet. And you're already age trying to teach them sex. Zero <laughs> is that the age that they're going after. Them. And so, and I, you know, so, so like when I said like demons among us carrot um, covers a, a, a wide swath of the paranormal, this is the kind of stuff that's in there and the spirits that are operating behind the scenes. That's why I say I, I ripped the veil off the paranormal to expose the evil and how it functions in society and the mechanisms uh, used and employed to influence a society over to evil. And that's that's what, what Demons Among Us does. So uh, say somebody's never been into these concepts before and they don't understand how the whole children aspect and how the whole trans aspect ties into satanic principles. Um, how, how would you describe that they tie in for those people that don't quite understand? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, you have to, it goes back to um, how did God make uh, mankind, right? He made man, man, he made woman, woman, right? And so what these things, uh, these, uh, these try to do is distort the masculine image of God. God is masculine. He, <laughs> he, he, all over the Bible, he, right? He created Adam first, who would have been at that point before the fall, uh, like a, almost a superhuman. And um, in, until, you know, sin took effect, right? Mm-hmm. But, um, but the, the identity that God put in man is highly masculine. And the reason why they're trying to distort the masculinity is because it's through the men where God can use to um, advance the kingdom of God. He's always used men in revival. He's always used men. I'm not discounting women because they, they are used. But what I'm saying is he predominantly and used men to, um, to advance his kingdom and his agenda. And if you distort and twist the nature of the masculinity, you cannot be... Um, used in that manner you're you're they've 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 weakened uh, the masculinity you know they feminized the man that's what i was going to say too and it makes it too so that uh say there was ever going to be a time when people needed to rise up um the men would be naturally less manly so they'd be more docile they'd be more scared of getting hurt and they'd be less likely to stand up so essentially if you can push a whole new generation of people to have that mindset then you could pretty much push whatever agenda you want on people and nobody's going to have the backbone to stand up and do something about it. Not saying that women can't do that also, but it's uh, like more so that angry, masculine, like fight the power kind of energy that like most males have that's starting to get diminished because of, again, this push to make it so that people aren't fighting back against these evils. Right. Well, they want, you know, again, they want to weaken the masculinity because a masculine man or a strong man is a dangerous man. Right. And so they want to mar uh, that image. Now, 
the men of today are not the same men as my grandfather's generation or my father's generation. These guys were, these guys were men. They are brutes, <laughs> like straight <And>, brutes. <laughs> right. And so, so the, what happened to them? What happened to the man? What happened to the masculine nature? It was like, this thing has been injected to weaken the masculinity of man. So the kingdom of God could not advance and, and rise up. And the, the, the earlier that you can mar a human being and boys, because keep your eye open because they're going after the boys, especially not the girls, not so much the girls. They're after your little boys. So and just after the boy or after the girls too. Cause it's like, uh, pro- it's a mix of too. both. It's, it is a mix of both, but I'll say girls in particular, like I have a daughter and uh, yeah. like, I'll go and try to buy her clothes now. And it's like, everything's like a crop top. And it's like, I see an issue with this oh considering God. that she's still in elementary school. Like what's the right. reasoning for this? Like it was right. the middle of winter last year and I was trying to just buy her like a nice sweater and I right. could not find a sweater that wasn't cut above the stomach. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very, very crazy time, but yeah, they do. Listen, they go after children. Let's look, you know, be honest, but Different I think reason a for lot both. of, I think, yes, exactly. And I think that uh, um, a main target is boys because boys carry that masculine seed, the masculine identity that God had created, you know, to, to advance. Right. And you mar that, you and you damage them for forever and you know and then they spend a lifetime trying to unravel the trauma that's been in, 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 that inflicted upon them i was going to say the other aspect too is that uh say you start making women girls get older faster um and you have oh, yeah. the males that are less masculine and you get to a point where they pretty much spend their life trying to chase these girls because it starts at such a young age that that just becomes their whole obsession for everything is just trying to get with another female. And because of girls being, you know, sexualized at such a young age, now they're yeah. more mature at a certain age. So then you also distract the community as a whole altogether because you just have all of these broken relationships. And when people are spending all their time trying to find a mate, they're not spending their time to do things and like get practical things done. Like that's your main focus. If you don't have somebody right. is to find somebody. And if you spend your whole life trying to find somebody, then you can't really fight the power, so to speak, because you're too busy yeah. doing that. <laughs> it could be. Yeah. I mean, is there a design behind it? I, I'm, I'm a believer. There's some kind of agenda behind everything. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it is just crazy from the food to the, you know, to the clothes, to the entertainment, to this is there's something behind everything. And it's just like, wow. And I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to find stuff behind every bush, but they're making it easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like ignorance is bliss. And then once you see through it, you can't unsee everything. That's right. Yes. Yes. So it's not like, I'm like this, Oh, there's a, there's a devil. Oh, there's a devil. And there's, and it's like, no, you guys are, this is just obvious now. And if you can't see it, then it, would to God that you would. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know how you can't see it. If you haven't already seen it at this point, like the people that haven't seen it are the people that are still wearing masks and are fully believing everything that Fauci and what the government tells them to do. <laughs> Boy, is that a whole other topic for me? Uh, God, when I see somebody with a mask, you know what I think? How dumb <laughs> are you? I hey, mean, at least that's somebody, so- you know, that there's not even a point in having a conversation with, because if their mind hasn't been changed at this point, there's some, some stubborn motherfuckers. <laughs> you know, it's true. And then I'm like, you know, so, okay. I live in Florida. I live in 
um, you know, first of all, let me just say, I, I never wore a mask. Okay. Cause I knew it was bullshit from dead from day one. And I fought with everybody everywhere, doctors, restaurateurs, um, gas station attendant. I mean, I literally got, you know, uh, cancer doctors and like all kinds, everything, everything. I fought with people everywhere. I went into hospitals and I'm like, you know, because I had my, I had my father was sick, so I had to take him places. But they're like, sir, sir. It was always, sir, sir, your, your mask. And I'm like, this is bullshit. And you know it. No, it's not, sir. I'm like, Okay. And then I'd see like the nurse, like nodding her head. (laughs) (laughs) You want to talk about a hospital experience? Uh, I had my, my son was born while COVID was going on. And of course they want you to wear the masks. So we're in the room and I'm not wearing the mask. And they're like, sir, you need to wear a mask. I'm like, I'm pretty much in a bedroom. You're walking in wearing a mask. My fiance who's pregnant and just had a child or, you know, not pregnant anymore at this point, but just had a child isn't wearing a mask. So like, what difference does it make if her and I are in the same house, we have the same contact, like what, what's any difference between her and I both not wearing a mask at that point. And then even at my work, they had a rule that said, have your mask on you. So I use that terminology in my, for my own advantage. And it said, have it on you. So I would clip it to my pants. And when they said, right. Hey, why don't you have your mask on? I'd say, Hey, the rule says, have it on you. Technically it is. Right. On me. <laughs> right. So for the way I saw it was, is all a measure of control, um, bringing the people into some form of compliance um, and also breaking the spirit. Um, again, there was, there was something behind it and it had nothing to do with health. And, um, <clears throat> you know, and it could have been a, you know, a few agendas tied into it um, all, all at once, but let's make no mistake. This was not about health. This was about, this was about control. This was about dominating a society. This was about making money with, uh, uh, with your, with these vaccines and, uh, killing off part of a population. And so there was like a lot of things, um, tied into this, into this, this one thing. And I didn't fear because the Bible says, you know, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind, right? Mm-hmm. So the whole world was in fear. And the reason I didn't have fear was because that was injected, you know, into my being at the outset of this thing, right? So like, this is not to fear. So I didn't fear. I fought. <laughs> I mm-hmm. fought with everybody. <laughs> See, and that's so- what I was saying. It kind of gave people that motivation and power to actually rise up. Cause I feel like if COVID never happened, people yeah. still wouldn't have that much of a backbone to like the average man wouldn't yeah. be able to just walk into a store and they say, wear a mask and they'd be like, fuck off and just continue on what they're doing. Yeah. You know, like if yeah. it wasn't for that, like it's one of those things, it's like a blessing and a curse at the same time. Kind of like I was yeah. saying earlier that it's like, you need to have evil in order for good to prevail. Cause if it's you true. don't have that evil trying to prevail, there's no where for good to prevail over the evil. Yeah, no, and that, you know, and, and that's true. And what, what evil tries to, tries to do is it, it tries to wear you down. It wears you down. It just shaves, keeps shaving away and shaving away and shaving away. Right? There's a, a real um, high energy um, to people animated by evil. It's like, well, why don't they just stop, right? Why don't they just, why don't they just like stop making these these things and and putting forth this agenda? And it's, there's this endless stream of energy. <laughs> That seem to they never tire of doing evil, and it tears down the the 
the the people who are trying to stand against it you know what i mean um and it it just breaks down it tries to break down resistance that's why the bible says like stand when it, when you when you can't stand stand all the more right mm-hmm. so stand some more and um and so but yeah no this thing was was all about it was it was all about control and um uh, the people who were wearing masks um were the people <laughs> the way i saw it were oh these are the people who are going to take the mark mm-hmm. of the beast See, and That's I feel exactly like that mark of the beast might be Neuralink. I've been making theories on this mm, because, of mm. course, if there's going to be a new evil that comes in, they're not going to come in, you know, with the horns and Never. acting evil. They're going to be somebody that's easily relatable. So name mm. one person that's trying to do some dark, twisted shit that everybody likes and is relatable. And I keep saying it, but I think Elon Musk is possibly the Antichrist because the guy mm. comes off that way. He has this internet presence. He has all these people that just blindly follow him. They have all of these cars that that's a whole other thing that you could theoretically shut off all the smart cars whenever you want. Oh, yeah, that's crazy. He's yeah. pushing the Nero link. And yeah. if there was anybody else trying to do that, like Bill Gates, for example, everybody would be shitting on it, but they have to use a likable character to do so. So just because of that push for Nero link, like, I don't know, there's something, something weird and off about that guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I, I know. I don't know everyone's inner workings of their, you know, of their mind or, you know, or their, or their heart, you know, but we, we do know where it's going. I don't know who it is with the, when we talk about antichrist, antichrist is actually a political figure that rises up out of the people. And so, um, and he draws basically what he does, is he comes in very peaceably. So people are going to be like, they're going to be so deceived because this guy's going to be like, nice. He's going to have all the answers. He's going to be a strong political leader. Uh, And so people, you know, people don't believe that they're deceivable. Just like you saw in COVID. Mm -hmm. Say, it just sounds like you're describing Elon Musk even more. I mean, even if he, uh... (laughs) maybe I am, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he could be one of the people like you were saying too, that's influenced, but doesn't realize that he's influenced. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Because there's yeah. a lot of these, uh, these inventors that claim that like, they don't know, like the idea will just pop into their head and they don't know where it came from. Right. So if you're looking at it in a more literal sense, who's to say that there may not be like darker forces that are trying sure. to push these technologies into sure. people's minds to be created? Because if they, like we were talking about earlier, could theoretically manifest themselves within like a digital reality of course they're not going to show themselves in front of some genius and say hey i'm a demon you need to build this (laughs) for me they're going to make it seem like it's something good and they're going to influence them and keep pushing them in that direction then when it's too late then they'll show themselves yeah no that's exactly right so what happens uh, what what evil doesn't show up with horns um and it doesn't show up with like a gravelly voice and say hey i'm a monster and I'm a demon and, and this and that. But what it does is it, it shows up itself in things that you like or things that appear good. Um, and but basically, I read a writer one time. He said there's a, a silver, silver hooks in those plums or those purple plums or silver hooks in purple plums is what basically these um, uh, the workings of evil are. So it's like they can appear sweet. Um, and even the Bible talks about, um, the devil transforms himself, uh, into an angel of light. Now, if we could just step back for a second and just think of that, this is the most evil force in the universe, 
right? Masks himself in something that looks so good, so enticing, whether it's a religious figure, a political figure, um, a woman, a man, or whatever, right? Um, masks it's uh, an agenda, right? Masks himself, the most evil force in the world, makes himself look like the most best, kindest, most acceptable thing in the world, and you don't even know it. It's funny that you mentioned that too, because I was going to ask, from your experiences, did you ever, uh, let's see, how would I word it? There's a lot of people that have said that they've heard the voice of demons directly, and it doesn't sound like what people imagine where it's like the low growly voice that you're saying. They come right. off sounding like uh, like princes or like royalty, um, and they kind of have that like, I guess a good way to describe it is almost like the Joker that they uh, come off where they're very presentable. They're very uh, manipulative because of the fact that they seem like they have all the answers and they're not doing it in like a dirty, gritty way. They're doing it in a very like elegant way in the process. So that being said, um, when it comes to like exorcisms and stuff like that, do you believe that they intentionally try to disguise their voices to try to like make them sound scary so that it'll scare people away so that they can try to take over that vessel um the voice thing and then i'll address the the possession thing so the first time i heard the voice of a demon whether it was satan or uh, a demon an underling demon i don't know but it was it happened when the first time i have experienced this and heard the voice the audible voice of an evil spirit or entity was I had just become a believer in Christ. Right. And it was the first time I decided to pray. I don't even know what prayer was. I don't know how to do it. I don't even know what it sounds like. Right. I don't even know what in the world I'm doing. It's the one of the first times I decided to let me try this prayer thing. Give it a shot. Right. <laughs> So I'm on my knees and I'm by my bed and, and I feel this presence enter the room and I know it's not a good presence <laughs> because you can sense the, the uneasiness of it. Right. And, and I feel something come up right behind my right ear and, and I scrunched my shoulder to kind of like shirk it away. Now I knew something was there. I wasn't going to look back. Because whatever was back there, I knew wasn't good. <laughs> and so, and then spoken directly into my ear, it said, you may have gone to God, but you belong to me. I'm never going to let you go. You're mine. And it wasn't the voice of a gravelly voice. It wasn't hoarse. It wasn't monstery. In fact, it was silvery. It was regal and princely and smooth and baritone, but underneath that, that tone was uh, an under, a cunning undertone. You can feel it beneath the words. Like it was the word you almost believed them because they're like, they were like, wow, these are very convincing words. <laughs> they got that charisma. <laughs> yeah. And there's a power behind the words. And, but there was an undertone or an undercurrent of, cunning evil you can sense it even though the words were spoken so smoothly and regally and 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 princely and like you said royally there's a royalness to the voice to the voices now where we get 
gravelly and monstery voices, well, we need to entertain with Hollywood, right? <laughs> they have the whole identity of, of demons and dark forces and Satan and Lucifer. They have the whole, so everything you've ever seen, everything you've ever heard, everything you've ever watched that concerned a demon was completely and utterly wrong. And what the Bible talks about, Satan or Lucifer or the devil, um, it, his appearance was the most beautiful creation God had ever created. The most highest, most beautiful angel God had ever created and with the highest um, the highest uh, realm or role in heaven, the guardian of God's throne. And so he was in direct presence of God. It's not an easy thing to go into the presence of God without being incinerated. And because it's just pure emanating holiness or spirit, and it's just the, the brightness you're destroyed by the brightness. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and so anyway, so in, in it, it talks about that in his body, in his form were built, um, were, were all kinds of jewels or shimmering, shining gems as diamond, barrel, sapphire, onyx, ruby, um, in all of these shimmering, shining jewels. And that's why he's called the bright one or the son of the morning or the, or light bearer. That's what I was because, about to ask too, because the son of the morning. <laughs> right. Because in the brightness of God, you got to imagine this thing is just reflecting did you ever see like a diamond, you know, all the, you know, all of the, the, the light that it emits and this being is just shimmering with all of these, these incredible facets of jewels, just shimmering. Right. And not only that, it says that pipes and timbrels were formed into his being, meaning that these were musical instruments so he was thought to be the musical or the choir director of heaven. So we have before his fall, Lucifer was heaven's rock star. The most. So, so is that why it starts leading into the, all the music stuff that's been influenced by him? Mm -hmm, bingo. And so, um, so what you have here is um, you have, you know, in all of heaven uh, saying the devil's songs. And so, and he was, would lead worship into, you know, however many angels, billions upon billions of countless angels falling in worship at his lead. Right. And so when he moved, he was shining, he was making music as he moved and walked. Um, and so you got to think that this Lucifer was not playing music. He was music. He is music, right? And so, I mean, it's literally built into his being. It's who he is. And so, so here you have the most beautiful, most influential, most charismatic, most beautiful being God had ever created. And the reason why he got uh, cast down is he, he created a rebellion or a war in heaven because he wanted to ascend to God's throne. We don't know how long this war lasted, but him and a third of the angels were cast out of, of heaven to the earth or the cosmos. So how many that is, I would imagine somewhere like what thousands to one human. I don't know. Like, you know, 
Um, but that should tell you that this was not a horse, hairy, horned monster. What we're dealing with is the most beautiful, most influential being God had ever, angel God had ever created. Um, that was ever to, to ever walk the corridors of heaven, um, who was cast down, but he can transform himself into anything he wants, whatever image he wants. Does he, if you want to look like your deceased grandmother, you want him to speak in her voice, he'll do that, right? You want him to, you want him to appear as the 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 Virgin Mary, he'll do that. You want to, you know, you, you want him to, you know. Whatever he can transform himself into whatever he wants. And so, and this is the this is the Satan or the Lucifer that Hollywood has so completely distorted. We're dealing with the most magnificent creature that has ever walked heaven. So do you think it's a matter of they tried to destroy that image so that people wouldn't actually know what to look for. Like things are, people are looking for like a generic demon, not realizing that the real demon is the super suave, yes, beautiful woman that's standing next to you and not the, the creature yeah. that's standing in front of you. you yeah. Know? I mean, you know um, yeah. Well, if you make this, if you make this image look like uh, you know, a cartoon, well, who the hell is going to believe that? Like who like uh, you can't believe in like a, um, a red horned pitchfork guy, right? And he's not, by the way, I talk about this in the book. He's not ruling in hell. He doesn't rule in hell. He doesn't have a put pitchfork and he's not ruling in and ordering demons amongst the fires of hell. He's not even there. He's here. And um, hell is a prison sentence created by God for the devil and his angels and for human rebellious spirits that's what hell is so hell is this complete um separation from god um it's the devil's judgment it's lucifer's judgment but he's not there yet and he's not going to rule when he gets there either it's a judgment and it's a prison sentence for him it's his destruction so kind of kind of a weird sidetrack question but uh is there a reason for like the pitchfork was is it like symbolic <laughs> of something or was there like a reason why that got imprinted into the image of the devil well i guess you gotta you know um well the devil has has through in art has changed over the years when it was like so you take the 1600s early america and it's and it's a, a black grotesque figure and he's got like little wings right and then you you travel along the timeline a little bit. He he becomes red somehow, right? And then and then he he's got a pointy tail, and then he and he's got horns and he's got a pitchfork. So you have to have some form of artistic expression as to how how to portray something that's evil or bad. So you think it's like a fish story where it's like everybody kept adding on a little bit, and it went from one image that was slightly off to just this whole offshoot image just from people taking their own creative direction off of it, trying to create a more beast-like creature. Yeah. I think that they're just trying to, to get the point across like this, this something is whatever this is, is an evil, an evil thing. And it's not, you know, it's, and, and how do you, if you were to make this jeweled being the most beautiful thing in the world, <laughs> Well, you wouldn't say, well, that's the image of evil. <laughs> yeah, that's the bad guy. <laughs> right, that's the bad guy. You'd be like, man, that guy's awesome. Look at that guy. 
random thought going on to the whole like image concept so a lot of people believe that like when it comes to like the trans movement um it's creating this image that's uh you know like the half woman half man like demon image that people have so that being said if that actually isn't the image of like a demon so to speak to be like that half mix um then where do you think that image could have possibly came from and do you think that that is part of the connection with the trans movement is having these like uh multi-gender slash beast related type people well, everything, it's, it's a distortion of God's creation. And so, you know, what this, these forces want to do is they want to mar God's creation and they want to mar humanity, uh, because how do you get back at God other than distorting and, and, um, and harming his humanity? So all these things are a distortion and a twisting of the, of the creation of God um, in order to kind of get back at at God for the fall, basically it's like this eternal um, envy, you know, it's a, it's a cosmos of, of, I can't, (laughs) you know, if I can't have them, (laughs) no, right. I mean, you think about all he lost. So it's, so he has this, you know, cosmic grudge and how you get to anybody is through his children or his creation. Right. Um, And so, um, it just distorts the image of man. And so, in it's, there's, there's always been a hybrid. There's always been, you know, this is where we kind of get into like Nephilim spirits and everything where, you know, demons came down and they had sex with, with women and they spawned another race, which was called um, the giants, which was the Nephilim. So it was like half demon, half angel. Um, so there's, there's always been that, but there's a masculine and a feminine identity, I think in spirits, um, and that's why, you know, you'll, you hear some stories where in one regards talking like a man, and then another guard starts talking like a woman. Well, they can take on any voice that they want, but I, I think what, what the Bible says is, is there, there is, it's all, there's no like sexual, um, kind of identity, uh, in heaven. Cause someone asked, uh, in the Bible talks about, you know, whose whose wife will it be if his, if she gets divorced here and her brothers marry her, and but the brother dies and it goes to the other brother, other other brother, and they're like, well, whose wife will this be in heaven? And then and Jesus says, is like, well, none. They will be like the angels of heaven, you know, not knowing marriage or whatever. So I don't know how much, you know, sexuality or sex organs a an angel might have. I think human reproduction is a human thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the angels themselves are, you know, are created beings and there is no procreation with them. I think God created for humanity, uh, a design for procreation. Um, and I think this is what, when we start to mar the, the procreation uh, identity or the procreation design that God has, has, has put into mankind. So as for the dual identity thing, um, I don't know. All I know is that it, it does try to distort and it does try to um, ruin and damage um, the, the identity of both man and woman. So um, I, obviously they're, they would be considered genderless, but uh, just yeah. to like reiterate. Um, so 
demons, angels, do you believe that there's like a, like a, say a masculine angel yes. or demon, which oh, yeah. would be a hundred percent like a, like a male, but without like the reproductive parts, just because they're not needed and yeah. they may be able to change their voice, but they still yeah. carry either being effeminate energy or a masculine yeah. energy. Yeah. I think predominantly masculine because the angels are a war. First of all, you have to understand the, <laughs> another thing that Hollywood and art has so uh, infamously marred okay so when we talk about angels we're not talking about little babies with wings we're not talking about um you know we're, we're not talking about cute cherubs or anything like that we're talking about a warring culture so these are massively masculine warlike beings so this is the description that you get like in the bible because like these these things are prepared for war and so they're, you know, they're, they're not little, you know, flimsy beings and the, the cute little wings. No, these are a warlike um, culture with all the power and might of, of being an angel. Well, this will sound like a weird question. I'm not 100% sure if you'll know the answer to it, but it's just kind of like a weird theoretical thought. So if they were created to be like a warrior type being, right, yeah. but there wasn't really an enemy yet. Um, like, what do you believe may have been the reason why they're created to be a warrior type being if there wasn't anything to fight at that time? And if God creates everything that's in this reality, did he already have the intention that there may be an enemy that they would need to fight? So he was trying to come prepared. Who knows? God knows everything beforehand. So, uh, so who knows when he created these angels, did they have the propensity to rebel? Yes, I'm, I'm, I believe he would have known that just as he knew how mankind had the propensity to rebel against, you know, his statutes and his and his plans and his rules. Right. So he he knew that kind of going into it. But um, but yeah, there there were a, a war in heaven. There was I don't know the the details of the battles. I don't know how long this went on. But the, the Bible talks about the devil and his angels fought against Michael and his angels, right? This is the Michael, excuse me, the archangel Michael and his angels. So we see in heaven this massive war, right? Whatever was going on there. So these are, you know, these are beings that are capable of ass kicking <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, and, and doing war. And uh, again, uh, going to the ruining of the image thing, we can also uh, apply that to Jesus as well. Uh, Jesus is not an emaciated figure on a cross. Um, and he's not a lamb carrying hippie um, <laughs> with, with sandals and flops. Okay. So he's, 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 he's not a, he's not a counselor. He's not sitting on, uh, on, on the couch with Oprah. When Jesus comes back, this guy comes back. You got to understand he's a king. And not just any king, Bible tell his name is written on his thigh, whether that's some kind of like heavenly tattoo or whatever that is. His name is King of Kings, Lord of Lords, meaning king above all kings, above any king that had ever reigned on the earth, right? Mm -hmm. Any Alexander, any Caesar, any Khan, anybody, King of Kings. Uh, I'm more, you know, he's more than that. He's king of kings, lord of lords. Put them all together, they cannot compare to him. 
So when he comes back, he looks like a crazed Viking because there's fire in his eyes and he's riding this monstrous white horse. And what he does is when he comes back, he's not coming back to counsel people. He's coming back to kill people. That's the return of Jesus Christ. The return of Jesus Christ is a crazed Viking-like warrior crushing the heads of his enemies like grapes because it says, all my robes were stained in blood. That was the blood of his enemies who rebelled against him, a society that cast him out, a society that cast him out of their schools, their governments, their, um, uh, and their society, kicked him out of their churches. Jesus is coming back as a, as a fiery warrior. This is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and not an emaciated man on the cross. So like theoretically coming into that, um, would he be taking out, say, like the people who have been deceived and are acting in the part of demons, but they don't realize that they are? Or would they be forgiven for the aspect of them not being aware of the fact that uh, like what they're doing, for example, like if they're uh, the like time. Well, the time to open your eyes is now. And when he comes back, it's too late. True. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, and if you're whatever side of the horse you're on, it's going to be better to be on the horse behind Jesus <laughs> than the horse in front of Jesus. So I guess uh, another theoretical question, possibly. Um, so if God comes in and knows everything and creates everything, um, do you think that it's possible that he may have created Lucifer with the knowing full well that he was going to rebel? And possibly because of that, he may have been using that as like an ultimate test of faith where he was possibly intending there to be like a split to see who really is deserving and who actually is has faith versus people that are just kind of like living in the reality and not really like appreciating like why they're here and what they're doing here? Uh, you know, that's a, that's a really good question. So I think God, when he created everything, I'm not God, so I don't know everything in his mind. It's, it's, it's impossible to know. <laughs> it's impossible for the creation to know everything the creator was thinking. <laughs> so, but I'll do my best. Now, God created everything with the, the intent or the propensity to love and to be loved not forced to love. So God could force a people or an angel to love him. But if your wife or your girlfriend were forced to love you, would that be love? No, no, it's no, it's, it would not. Support, yeah. You would have to have the element of choose of choice in order to have true love. Correct. Yeah. It's kind of like the, the yin and the yang concept that you need to have. Like if everything's always good, then you don't appreciate the things you have. But if there are bad things that happen along the way, kind of like what you're saying, it would yeah. make you love and actually appreciate someone or something um, rather than, again, like if there's no other choice, yeah. you just are kind of in a way forced to love me. Yeah, you're a robot. You are. Right. And in order for God not to have a race of robots that just sort of, oh, I love you, God. Right. Like, you know, um, <laughs> and in order. So he created these beings with choice. Um, also that's why there's war in heaven, right? Cause they could rebel against God or, you know, God could have made them so they didn't rebel, but then they would be robots. Mm -hmm. Then they would have not loved his loved or not loved his ways. 
Right. So do you think he created them with choice and just kind of yes. didn't know what was going to happen? And he just kind of said like, all right, whatever happens is what is supposed to happen without him even necessarily knowing what's going uh, to happen. Yeah. That's when you get into the deep mind of God, I, <laughs> that I don't know. I, I always like to entertain say, theories. Yeah, no, that I can honestly say that's the inner thoughts of God. I, I don't know, but I, I do know that um, when he created um, Adam and Eve, he, whether he knew they would fall or not, he created a way to redeem them, meaning that he got himself um, killed, you know, sacrificed a, um, a, you know, a, a land, uh, an animal or whatever it was. And he himself clothed them with these clothes. So he himself put the covering on them for redemption. And it's the same thing with us. God has made a way that we um, who have denied him and we who have lived against them or rebelled against them and we who have, have hated him, we can all be redeemed. God has created a way that all of mankind can be redeemed. And that's through Jesus Christ. And that's, you know, God has always made a way for mankind to be redeemed. The, the devil can't be redeemed. Like that's done, <laughs> but, but he is, he, what he has done for mankind is he has made a way that we can all be made. Um, we can all be redeemed back to him and we can all um, uh, the relationship with him can be restored. And he has made the covering for sin, just like he did in the garden for Adam and Eve and clothe them himself. He's done that for mankind in Jesus. I mean, for uh, for lack of a better word, I don't want to say like entertainment, but I guess you could could kind of use that word in this context. Um, like, say you're a creator and you wouldn't want everything to just be always good because in turn, if everything was always good, it would become boring because you wouldn't appreciate the good times. So I don't know, I like to entertain the idea that he intentionally tried to, I guess, I guess not intentionally, because I, I feel like he almost didn't know the outcome, but he gave people the opportunity of choice to be good or bad, almost as, I want to say entertainment for himself, but entertainment in a way, because like who would want to watch over a world where everything's just good and nothing happens? Like It's yeah. almost better, because then again, it gives the opportunity for there to be ultimate good, because if there's not ultimate evil, there can never be ultimate good at the same time. Yeah. So it's just a you know, two sides to the same coin, essentially. Yeah. But I, I, yeah, I think that he, well, he knows the end from the beginning, right? But yet he still chose to create and he still chose to love, knowing that there was the propensity to rebel when to, and to reject, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's the love of God. The love of God is like, yes, I know that that's the risk of love, right? And so God took a risk. So you might career. create or know the beginning and the end, but not yeah. necessarily know the middle, but the middle is kind of like, we're all, we're all, I don't want to say the good stuff, but all the, all the nitty gritty happens, you know, like, you know, I it's not going to end in the end, but he likes to watch the process along the way of how it gets there. You know, <laughs> I think he knows, but he gives us the choice. So I guess uh, kind of pulling away from a different topic because you mentioned <laughs> it a little bit earlier in the show, it still kind of fits into it, but uh, yeah. You're talking about how you did some research on what you believe is the first exorcism. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that and some of the context on what exactly happened. Well, not so much the first exorcism. It's the first fully documented eyewitness case of demonic possession in American history. And it's told and it's recorded um, 
two decades or 20 years before the Salem witch trials. This was early, you know, early New England. And the story itself um, takes place between um, in early Massachusetts, uh, in early Massachusetts Bay Colony or early Massachusetts. And it's between a, uh, a minister of a, of a forest town <laughs> and his 16 year old maidservant. And so what happened was, is, so she gets moved in, she moves into uh, the minister's home. Um, the minister's name is Samuel Willard. So she moves into Samuel Willard's home and she is his maidservant. Now she's also a, con- a, a congregation of his, in, in his church as well. And so, so she becomes the, the servant or the maidservant. And a couple of weeks into it, he starts to see signs. She starts to exhibit some strange behavior. And he thinks is, it's kind of odd. And so... Um, what so kind what of happened, behavior, by the way, if you don't mind me, if, if you know? Well, it starts off like she's just like... Uh, it's, it's hysterics in a sense. So she's like, there's... Um, uh, uncontrollable kind of, of laughter and start off as like this evil thing started like, you know, um, just, um, just hysterics. And the hysterics went, became what he called like pro force, what he said, pro force roarings and screamings and leapings and running through the house, like, uh, destroying the home. Um, and, you know, to the point where like the freak them out, like, whoa, what is going on here? Superhuman strength um, behind, um, beyond her years. Now we're talking about a 16 year old girl. She was not, you know, she was not a pro wrestler. She was a (laughs) 16 year old, you know, common teenage girl for the period. It had three or four people kind of take her down. She threw them all off. And then there was another episode. There was like five or six people. She she just threw them all off. Uh, and then there's periods where she was stood five days straight with the tongue curled in the back of her mouth five days straight. And they couldn't uncurl her tongue. And they they tried. It was a curl back as if she was swallowing her tongue. And she didn't sleep. She stood there for five days. Uh, one of the stranger incidents is horrifying. <laughs> You yeah. See somebody standing in the corner for five days, let yeah. alone. Yeah. And then you Par- have the curled tongue. That's even, even more horrifying. Yeah. Paralytic seizures. Um, and he tried to, what he, what he did was something revolutionary for the time, because, back, you know, you would s- suspect at the time, like, oh, she's a witch. Just, you know, let's be done with her and hand her to the magistrates. But he knew her. He knew her father, her father, uh, James Knapp, um, helped build the church. So they, you know, and he was, he had become a civil servant. And, and, and so he, you know, so this was a very, very tight knit community in the middle of the woods back at the time, it was surrounded by outlying Indian tribes, Native American tribes. And so this was a very, very, you know, small community. So, um, and so, Uh, So what he did for the time was what was revolutionary was he brought in um, the doctor because he wanted to kind of rule out any kind of medical thing, even though I think in his heart that he knew that this was 
there's something serious going on here. And so, but the doctor comes along and, you know, and it's, you know, um, you know, they're thinking that it's like epilepsy or what they call like frenetic melancholy or dropsy or any of those things. And at first the doctor thought it was treatable, but then it, she just started, you know, like all over, all over again. And the, the, the question that was on their mind was like, was she in league with the devil? Did she sign the devil's book? How long has she been <laughs> influenced by the devil? And so what makes this, this story, the first document, fully documented account was that um, when these signs started happening, um, Samuel Willard took to his journal and he jotted down a blow by blow, day by day by day by day to things and what he called atrocities happening to this young maid. And so that's why it's, it's fully, um, it's fully recorded. Um, and what he was doing is he was actually writing um, everything down so he can report it to increase Mather, who was the, the, the minister of the Boston church, who was like, he would have been like the rock star of that day because ministers at that time, were so ex uh, extolled among the community. They were the, um, you know, they were the rock stars of their day. So mm -hmm. they were the most important person in the community. Um, even the you know, judges would go to them for, and, and lawyers would go, would have them in on their meetings. Uh, so they can, they could talk, you know, they could um, um, ask their opinion on, on laws and rulings. This is how influential they were. Uh, at the period. And so they were the most important um, people in the community at the time. So anyway, so he was writing this to give a report to, um, to increase Mather. And, um, but what happened was increase Mather, like this, this incident didn't see the light of day until 12 years later, when it was, when he published it in one of his, in one of his um, publications. Um, so they, the, they didn't, New Englanders in mass didn't learn about this until like 12 years, like after it happened. Um, and so, um, and, uh, and so that's, that's what happened there. So it was like, so she, she ended up, um, trying to be treated to treat any of the treatments of the period <laughs> didn't work. And she, um, they were trying to get to the bottom of it. And you can read about it in the book. Was she influenced by the devil? Did she sign his book? How long has this been going on? And that's, you know, I don't want to give it all away because it's, you know, it's in the, excuse me, it's in the book, but uh, it's a horrifying, horrifying um, experience for, <laughs> for a story buried in history. Oh, yeah, and I, I had to research back 350 years. So I had to go back and, and find um, uh, the journal. I had to go back and f go through 350 years of parchments and, um, and legal paper and, and court records and, and court things and, and, um, and, and all of that stuff. So I put in like 350 years of real deep, intense research in order to unearth this story because I deserve I believed it deserved to be told in the right manner um, and to make this story come to life. So, you know, these characters, you know, the, 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 the society around them, 
the thinking, the mindsets, the, you know, the, the customs and the behaviors um, all played into a part of the story and the part of the psyche of the story. So um, I'm assuming this was probably around somewhat of the same time as the Salem witch trials. So I know that they like to try to rule it out and say that it was, uh, what was it, something in the grain that was making people trip, essentially. So they were seeing mm. things that weren't really there. Right. So coming from your perspective, do you think that that may have been the case or played a factor in the case? Or it may have been one of those things where they just tried to cover up part of history with something that was actually happening by trying to come up with something that wasn't related? Or I don't th- theoretically, no, I- it was happening and the demons knew that and they tried to take advantage of it because they thought that maybe would be able to hide themselves within this, you know? No, I don't think that they were they were covering up. I think that they were really trying to, to understand. Now, you have to understand the backdrop of this world at the time, right? So um, the reason that they had come over from England, this, uh, this is... Uh, say his father before him, right? So he was first, Samuel was first generation um, from the England persecution. So the reason why we came over, the reason why they came over was to escape the religious persecution um, of the church of England and the queen and, and all that stuff that was happening over there so that they can, so their idea of coming to America was to establish a country in which to serve God in a country for God, unlike the world has ever seen. That's verbatim. That's why they came. So under this backdrop, so they were very, very uh, closely guarded about anything that would have been evil or anything that would have um, uh, hindered what they believe God had called them uh, to do in this country. Um, And so under this backdrop, they were very, very, um, they were, they were very careful to um, uh, recognize evil or the devil or whatever. Now these things, you know, demonic things and witchcraft and things like they, they did exist. So they weren't, and they knew these things like did exist, but this is the first time I think that they saw this, like in the colonies on this level. And they were just trying to grasp with like, okay, well, what, what's happening here? Right. So I don't think they tried to bury it. I think they tried to understand it. Um, and it was because of this role with this maid that, you know, Samuel Weller Willard was involved with the witch trials because of this case. And he actually tried to stop the witch trials because he what they wanted to do with the witch trials was they wanted to enter in spectral evidence, meaning that my apparition or my ghost <laughs> could come and haunt you, right? Can come and, and prick you with needles and, and punch you in the nighttime and whatever, right? Beat you up and or do things. And so Samuel Willard was like, we, you can't allow this as spectral you know, evidence as credible evidence, because if this is, if this is the thing, they're going to see the, the devil under every, every push and every cart. You and this point is, the finger at people you don't like to at that you, point. That's exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. So he was very instrumental in trying to, to stop. He was the voice of reason <laughs> in a very superstitious sort of um, the judges there was Seton Seawall. Uh, I think Cotton Mather was on it as well. Uh, and uh, Seawall was actually um, very, um, 
very superstitious coming over from, from England. They brought the superstitions with them as well. And so they were, again, they were trying to build a world f- for God and they were cautious against trying to be cautious um, of any, of anything that would destroy what God and they were, were building in this, in this new world. Um, did the pendulum swing really far? Maybe. Right. But it's not like it's our society is we have none of that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, so that's not good either. Right. But it did happen. So he tried to, you know, he tried to stop the witch trials. And then what happened was, is, um, uh, Seawall actually repented afterwards. He actually did it in church before Samuel Willard. Um, and he, he realized the gravity of what he did. And so what, and they recognized what a stain this was going to put upon what they were doing. And, um, and, and, and so they were like, we hope that, um, uh, we hope that an, an incidence of this magnitude does not wipe away all of the good that has been done here. And that history does not see this as, you know, the only thing that was happened that had happened. Right. So when they were conscious of like, yeah, this is, this is some real gravity, you know, some weighty stuff here. This could mar all of the good that's been done and it. And it did in a sense, you know, I mean, so considering that, uh, like you hear about these people that are like new coming of age Christians and how they're influenced easily and they're, they're targeted because of the fact that they're still new to faith. So considering that these people came to a whole new area, they're trying to like reestablish the faith in that area. And from the story that you told, and from a lot of other stories I've heard um, about people just having like weird dreams where they'll see like these throne rooms. And then you hear like the demons that have the very like princely sounding voices. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you think that a lot of these early settlers may have been influenced by demons thinking that they were angels or something good? And they kind of played that whole like, oh, you can do something good. Just sign here and then we're going to help you out. We're going to do this for God. And then, of course, didn't come at him like a demon. They came at him in a charismatic princely way. So then maybe 90% of these people thought they were doing something good. But realistically, they were getting influenced and they were being targeted because it was like a reestablishing of faith. So they knew that that would be a place that they could easily try to get their grip into at the time. Well, in the case of the maid, she was, you know, she was being tempted with things that she wanted. She was very unsatisfied with her station in life. And there was not much room for, you know, a girl in that period to really kind of do any, you know, become or do anything. So she was very, very like unsatisfied. And it was through this like doorway where these temptations had come, where it was like, um, I feel like that's the same for a lot of witches and stuff too, is just, they wanted to break away from just the suppressed women's society of the time too. If they were full mm, well knew what they were doing, of course. mm, mm, Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't know, (laughs) but, uh, but so what was, she was tempted with was, you know, uh, back at the time she was tempted with like silks and lace and fine clothes. Why? Because she was a maid serve. So she was wearing, you know, shitty clothes and, you know, and she wanted more. He promised to show her the world and, you know, and, and would show her jewels and all kinds of stuff. And, 
you know, and, but again, did she sign the book? I don't know. You got to read the book, but, um, and, but that, you know, so when that's the case, so he's going to, you know, he, he attempted her with stuff that, you know, she desired, she, you know, she really wanted. And um, yeah, I don't know. What was the original question? Well, I mean, that was the idea. Was she uh, influenced by the demons thinking that she was doing something good because they were using her, they're like princely charismatic, personalities to the to their advantage and pretending to be something that they weren't um at first he did and then she started realizing um how tyrannical and um and an ass kicker he was when she disobeyed and you can yeah again like you got to read about the stuff that happens though but it's yeah she just just would you know he laid it on her (laughs) So uh, I guess I've been thinking about this as you were describing that. So going into like modern day, as far as like, I don't want to say religion, but people are starting to kind of gear onto like the spiritual side of things where it's like, you're your own God kind of a thing. Um, you know, you can manifest your own reality. Um, and you, do you believe that that could possibly be the workings of demons? Because it was kind of like that story that you were saying where they're like, here's some fine things. Here's this, where they're almost yeah. treating her like she's royalty. So yeah. maybe this whole, depending on the side of it, I guess, because there's probably a good side and a bad side to it, but there's probably a big push as far as like the spirituality concept goes, where there might be some like demonic push behind it, where it's like your royalty, you can do this. This is your reality. Do what you want with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's been, the, that's been the, um, the lie in the garden of Eden from the beginning. Right. So it's what he said was, uh, you know, you, you, you eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you will be like God knowing good and evil. You yourself will be like God. So it's the same, the same lie. He never mixes up his playbook. It's the same lie. It's just the reason why it's the same lie is because the same lie works yeah it's one of those things too where it's like (laughs) history repeating itself but people want to say that it's like you're coming up with like conspiracies but it's not a theory it's not a conspiracy if it's just history repeating itself yeah rewording it in a different way for a new yeah it just repackages yeah so he kind of like repackages it or whatever but it initially it's the same lie can you create your own destiny can you you know can you become your own god um no because god is god I mean, that's kind of where the whole like witchcraft uh, concept comes into, too, is I'm sure that yes. there was a lot of women who were influenced by like, you can create your own reality. You can create love potions. You can create wealth. You can create this. And they kind of give them this false idea of like, you can be a God in your own way, but not realizing that you're becoming a servant of somebody else by yes. trying to do that. Yeah. What, what witchcraft is, is actually it works independently um, from God. Um, and so what you know, they believe that they can manipulate demons to the will. So w- witchcraft actually is manipulation. Um, and it's rebellion against authority because it's a rebelling against the authority of God. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and it's working independently. So it cannot submit that spirit. Um, and when I say spirit like that, that human nature, the human nature under that influence will not submit to the authority of God or any authority. Right. And so it's, it's only the will of the witch that so matters. Like, right. It's about intention, kind of like most things yeah. with magic, I guess, that yeah. you could use it for good or you could use it for bad because you could have one spell that 
say, kill somebody, for example. Mm-hmm. And you could use it to kill somebody that's a very good person, or you could use it to kill somebody who's very evil. But it's not that the spell itself is good or bad. It's all about the intention that you have behind what you're doing. Well, you're, you're still trying to employ demons in, your, you know, in the operation of your will mm-hmm. and to carry out your will. Now, they, they are deceived into thinking that they, you know, these things do their bidding not knowing that they are actually under control of the thing that they think is doing their bidding. And so um, there are no good demons. And white magic and black magic are all part of the same coin, all one coin. Mm-hmm. You know, you got the, you know, you got the heads and you got the tails, right? But it's all, it's all, it's all Satan. It's all Lucifer. The, the coin is all Lucifer. So it's just, you know, there is, again, there's no good demons, and there's no, <laughs> there, you know, so it's like you could think that you're doing these things for good, but you're still functioning in a demonic principle. You're still functioning and conjuring demons to do your will, whether you think it's good or not. It's what God says. It's an abomination to him. That's what I was going to say. Is it still considered a sin either way? Because if pretty much if you have any inner workings with demons, no matter what way it is, it's still considered a bad thing by God, even if you're trying attempting to do something good with those demons. Because of course, it's just like most things where you think that this is the only action that happens because of this, but you do this action and three other things happen that were worse than if you ever just didn't do that action in the first place. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I think that, um, you know, God's standards and God's what he likes has never changed. What he's hated has never changed. God does not change for your for your social convenience or your you know according to his ways or his ways. He's that. That's it, right? So it's like what he you know God still hates what he hates, and he still likes what he likes, and he's not going to change. <laughs> So uh, I guess to start kind of simple, yeah, for sure. <laughs> to start moving uh, a little bit towards the end, um, as far as like your book goes, say you want to give a little brief description of things just to kind of get people into it. Um, what's like some other stories that people might be able to read about in the book without giving away information, of course, because you want people to read the book, but what's some more things to get people excited about coming? In yeah, well, it has uh, some of my own personal experiences in it. Uh, with demonic encounters, it has the uh, the most scariest, most frightening thing that has ever happened to me with a with a, a black spirit uh, at my bedside, and uh, you can read about that. Uh, it has my encounters with uh, um, a succubus spirit, um, and it has, uh, of course, it has the first fully documented eyewitness case of demonic possession. Um, uh, in there, as well as all of the um, spirits and f- which kind of spirits are functioning in society uh, all around. Just a few. I, I, I've outlined a few that were you. Once you read it, you'll be able to really see it um, and how these uh, spirits work to infiltrate and influence society um, to uh, to take on these ideologies that are actually evil. Um, without them, without even knowing it. So um, Demons Among Us rips away the veil of the paranormal to, so that you can see what's really happening behind the scenes and what's really happening behind the scenes may truly terrify you. 
So uh, for anybody that's interested in reading the book, uh, where would they come and find the book? Um, right now you can get it on, uh, it's available at, on Amazon, uh, and Kindle and print versions. Um, and the exciting announcement is I have the audio book coming up, um, hopefully October. I keep getting into the, some hiccups, but, uh, I'm hoping for the beginning of October, um, uh, for the audio book. And at that time, I'm going to make it uh, available to Barnes and Noble and Ingram Spark and and uh, hopefully have this actually out in stores. Um, they pick it up. It is a number one bestseller, um, and so um, I'm hoping to actually make it uh, more available to more places so more people can um, you know be enlightened by it. That's awesome. I can't wait yeah. to see this book grow and see where it goes. I'm definitely yeah, going to be th- looking for it when I go to the bookstore uh, after October to see if it pops up. <laughs> yeah, th- yeah. It might take some time, but it will be available. What, what Ingram Spark is, is actually like a hub where all the other buyers buy their books from. Mm-hmm. And so it'll be available there for them to purchase it. So hopefully they they purchase it and uh, <laughs> and pick it up. And can I can I tell you just one one of the things I got going on? Like I'm getting a lot of feedback from people who say that they're they're reading it um, um, alongside like their their Bibles and they're they're saying that this is like the best uh, most eye opening book on the paranormal like they've ever read. So I just what I want to do is I want to put it out there that um, um, if a church or a uh, organization buys uh, a thousand print copies. I will come there and speak at no cost at, at your event. So I just want to put that out there. That's what one of the deals I have going on now. So if you buy the thousand copies, I will come and speak at your organization or your, uh, or your church for free. Say that's not even that many copies, everybody come out here and uh, buy some books and uh, get a, get an awesome presentation of the book yeah. in the process. <laughs> yeah. So uh, one thing I do like to leave on is uh, words of wisdom. So if there's any words of wisdom that you could bestow on the listeners, what would it be? Ooh, wow. What a loaded question. Uh, <laughs> any, yeah. Um, the words of wisdom would be to um Turn your eyes on Jesus. He'll give you power over dark demons and dark forces, uh, and you will have authority over them. And they can, you can break the grip of the strongholds of um, of demonic powers or forces that are working against your life. You will have um, authority over them to vanquish them in His name. Worded very nicely for being on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, for anybody that enjoyed this conversation, uh, where do they come and find you at if they're trying to contact you? Uh, you can contact me at Instagram. Uh, that's m.r.gorga, G-O-R-G-A. And you can find me on uh, Facebook at mrgorga. So you can reach out to me, um, slide into my DMs at either one of those and, uh, and reach out to me. Man, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. I had a lot of fun with this conversation. Oh, I'm glad. Me too. We'll have to uh, do it again in the future. And if you you have another book that comes out, I'd be more than happy to have you come back on the show and we can discuss that book too. That's awesome. I got a screenplay right now. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to sell like after all that research for 300 of 350 years. And, you know, so I, I'm actually like the next, I have a, a book number two in the works, but I had this screenplay that I'm trying to, to get out. Um, and so I think it's going to be like the most, 
terrifying true to life witch trial ever told. So that's uh, that's actually in the cards as well. Ooh, when's uh, when's the idea where that might come out where people can start looking for that? <laughs> I don't know. I'm looking for a um, uh, I'm looking for an agent or producer to partner with right now. Um, I did have um, uh, one one film production kind of like reached out to me, but um, I'm looking to you know, partner up with an agent. So if uh, there's an agent out there wants a no brainer of a project <laughs> and a number one best selling author feel free to reach out. And for all the listeners that are interested in that, that's just more of a reason for them to come follow you on social media and get some updates on all that kind of stuff too. Yeah. So thanks for making the time to come on today, man. Like I said, I really appreciate it. I appreciate it too. Thanks for having me. And uh, for all the listeners, I hope you enjoyed the conversation and I hope you have a great night. See you the next one, everybody.